0: Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We've been looking at these particular uh, things in regards to our doctrine that we believe. We're we're going to start here, we've been looking at the church particularly. We're going to start here uh, tonight with our ordinances. And we begin with the first ordinance, which is baptism. And and, uh, we're going to look at baptism, uh, the Lord's Supper and uh, we'll probably end that study after, after those, uh, th- these two particular subjects, although I don't know how long it's going to take me to get through baptism or the Lord's Supper. We'll see. So it, it may be a, a couple, three weeks yet nonetheless. But here in uh, Matthew chapter 3, we have the record of our Lord's baptism. Now, the doctrine of baptism is a controversial doctrine, not because the scripture is controversial on it, but because it is controversial among Christianity today and has been for millennia now. Uh, Literally, the first uh, mention of uh, uh, abnormal baptism, I guess is the word to use there, Uh, The first mention of baptism is straight away from what was given to us in the Scripture. Uh, There was a mention of it in 130 A.D. by Irenaeus, uh, who was one of the disciples of John the Revelator. And Irenaeus was writing a book on heresies. And he was talking, alluded to it there, that there were those that were uh, baptizing at that point in 130 A.D., uh, baptizing children, baptizing infants. And he, and he, he alluded to it there. Uh, it was mentioned again um, by uh, Tertullian in 220 AD and he was talking about them baptizing infants at that time. His was more direct. Uh, he was talking about uh, those, those uh, churches that were involved in doing that. And Augustine by 400 A.D. wrote that it was basically a universal practice by his day uh, in 400 A.D. Uh, so it's, it is a very uh, controversial doctrine because it has been carried on uh, since early in church history. Uh, and it is the, this very doctrine... Uh, that has separated the Lord's churches throughout history from these other bands of Christianity that have come along. Um, because uh, his churches, Baptists, uh, have refused to give up or compromise on the doctrine of baptism since the time of our Lord. And so this, this, Refusal to give up what the scripture says concerning the doctrine of baptism has caused a great deal of consternation toward us. So much so that our very name is given to us as a um, as a mockery because of the Baptist refusal to accept any other kind of baptism. Uh, they were called. Uh, Anabaptists or re-baptizers is what the name means because they simply would not take anybody else's baptism. And it was given as, again, as a a mockery, the name itself. Um, And during uh, the Middle Ages particularly, during the time uh, just before and following uh, the Reformation and it going coming in full force there, uh, there is estimated anywhere from 50 to 80 million Baptists that were put to death because primarily of this doctrine of baptism and their refusal to accept the baptism of Catholicism and, the, and those that split out of Catholicism during the Reformation. And we, we get asked that question quite often, uh, even still today, especially with the the modern movement trying to <clears throat> push the idea of universal church. And is baptism really that important? Is it really is it really that important that you hold to it so strongly in the way that you hold to it? Can't you compromise a little bit? And the the problem lies within what most do with baptism it's not on our side so much but rather it's on the opposite side because what most people do with baptism today is they make it about salvation itself they teach a baptismal regeneration and and what i mean is that you are saved by baptism there's that is Sadly, the crux of the majority of it. Now, there are those that would say, and they would add it state, No, absolutely not. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration. But, just to give them their fair due, they they think it is important to, to bring a child, particularly under the covenant of God. And they have come up with the doctrine of baptizing infants to bring them under the covenant of God. And they said that's simply to put them under the covenant. And then when God gets ready to save them, He'll save them. That comes later, but it's it's putting them under uh, the covenant is the reason they give for baptizing these infants. But the majority, sadly, uh, use, use baptism as... The mark of salvation, or as one of the marks of salvation. That is just one of the things you need to do in order to be saved. And Baptist, we say, no. No, that's baptism is not salvation, it's not about being saved, but rather it's about the fact that you have been saved that you are identifying with the Lord Jesus because of the salvation that has taken place in you. And we read here in Matthew chapter 6, we, in beginning in verse number 1, we read here of our Lord's baptism. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, I said Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 3. We read here of our Lord's baptism here. It says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, leather and girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And... Um, Oh, then rather, went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now go down to verse number 13. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, or he baptized him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is one of the very first uh, examples to us from the Scripture that baptism is not for our salvation because Jesus did not need to be saved. He did not. He is the Savior himself, you see. He is the Savior. This is an act of righteousness. It is a work that is being done. That child of God who has been redeemed, who has experienced salvation in Christ Jesus, It is a. this baptism is a work of righteousness. In fact, the first work of righteousness that needs to be done as that identification with the Lord Jesus. That, that we are reckoning ourselves with Him. That we, we recognize us being dead with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. And so the doctrine of baptism, we're given in the Scripture. Uh, Four points that I want us to look at concerning this doctrine. First of all, it requires a special subject. A special subject. Number two, it requires a proper mode. A proper mode. Number three, it requires an authoritative administrator. One with the authority to carry out that baptism, and fourthly, the design, the divine design of baptism, what its purpose is. And we begin with a special subject, and every example, every example that we're given in the scripture, other than Jesus himself, every example of baptism that we're given is baptism upon those that were born again. That their their salvation had just taken place. And based upon that salvation, we find them being baptized because of the salvation that has taken place. And so this, this is the example that's given to us throughout. By the grace of God, one then is made a fit subject for baptism. Acts chapter 8 turn with me there verse number 36 through verse number 38 Acts chapter 8 verse 36 through verse number 38. This is the account of Philip meeting with the Ethiopian eunuch uh, and and the Ethiopian eunuch is on his way home. He's been to Jerusalem uh, to worship. He is uh, in the court of Candace, queen of the Ethiopia, he is head of her treasury and he has been to Jerusalem to worship. He is a Jewish proselyte and he is on his way home back to Ethiopia. And while he is riding, he is reading from Isaiah, and particularly Isaiah chapter number 53. And the spirit of God sends Philip to him and says, go down and join myself to the chariot. And so he goes down and joins himself to the chariot, and I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if maybe the eunuch was resting uh, and and was reading there. I imagine it would be hard to read a scroll while you're riding in a chariot, or if maybe he was just moving along slowly, and Philip had to run to catch up to him. I don't know. I don't know what happened exactly, or what that looked like necessarily. But Philip joins himself to the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch and he hears him reading the scripture and he asks him do you understand what you're reading? and he said how can I except some men tell me and so he the bible tells us here in chapter 8 exactly the passage he's reading he's reading from from Isaiah chapter number 53 about our Lord's suffering for us and he asks the question who is this speaking of? Is he speaking this of himself or of some other man? And Philip says to him, or says Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And he declared Christ Jesus to him. He declared the gospel to him. He declared what Christ Jesus had come to do. And as they went on their way, so they weren't moving before, they started moving now, you see. And so as they went on their way, verse number 36, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, well, here's what hinders you. Here's what hinders you. If thou believest. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Only then. So the belief, you see, is a requirement for baptism. Not baptism is the belief. Belief is the requirement before baptism. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And as I make mention of that a couple weeks ago, that that there made him no longer a practicing Jew by that declaration. He, he was no longer in Judaism by that proclamation, by stating, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. he given up his religion. And found Christ. And based upon this, Philip said, the Bible tells us here, and he commanded the to stand still. And they went down both under the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And so this, this one point is sufficient to illustrate the point here. There is one passage rather sufficient to illustrate the point that baptism, the requirement for baptism is salvation. And we see that in every instance. It's interesting to me how much this passage by the textual critics is hated. That they want this part of the Bible removed. They want this part removed. Those two, those two or three verses they're particular, they want them gone. They say it's not, in, it's not in the Alexandrian text. And so because it's not in the Alexandrian text, we don't want it in the Scriptures. And they want to remove that whole Passage there about if thou believest thou mayest. If thou believest all in heart thou mayest. And the fact uh, and what he believed that Jesus is the Son of God. In the Alexandrian text it basically just says, "See here is water. What hinders me to be baptized?" And they stopped the chariot and he went down and baptized. Them. That's what it says in the Alexandrian. And they leave out they leave out the detail that is so important there that if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And then the proclamation, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so it requires a special subject. One who is born again. It is only that new birth that makes one able to receive this baptism that the Scripture is describing. Obviously... An infant, an infant cannot proclaim their belief in Christ Jesus. They have, they don't have that understanding at that point. And um, yet, it is um, that's what it has become for the majority of Christianity today. That's what it has become. Is this this uh, opening up? of of baptism to uh, children to infants so that they can become part of the church or so that they can be saved because of of this, this work done on them from babyhood. And that does not... All they're doing is getting wet. There's nothing that has been... There's nothing that has been accomplished there in that sprinkling of that child, in that dipping of that child, in that pouring of water on that child. Likewise, those that are being baptized for salvation as a work in order to be saved, we know very clearly given to us from the scripture, even from this very passage, that the baptism does not save you doesn't matter how many times you dip in and get dunked under, that baptism does not save you. Salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so this this is required. One must be born again before they are made a fit subject for baptism. Secondly is the proper mode at which baptism is to be conducted. The word baptism is from a transliterated word, Greek word, baptizo. And it simply means to dip or immerse um, fully. To dip or immerse fully. Underwater uh, is the instance in which we use the word. However, in 1643... Uh, the Westminster Assembly, by one vote, 25 to 24, made sprinkling a part of their confession of faith. But Don't dip under any longer. We're just going to sprinkle water on the candidate that wants to be baptized. Pope Stephen II gave authority for sprinkling in the Catholic Church in 811 AD. They would no longer be pouring, although they did practice pouring before that. In fact, Constantine uh, was uh, most likely dead in bed when they poured water on him to baptize him to assure that he would get to heaven because he died still worshiping the sun god. Uh, and they, they claimed that he was on his deathbed. right, oh yeah, I yeah, tried. Right. It's I slipped up and forgot y'all need to baptize me. And so they came and poured water on him to baptize him, to save him, um, even though he died an idolater uh, and was probably never saved. I don't know any record of him other than that, that he was saved. But in 811, they changed that to sprinkling was, was given authority that they could do that. And the Council of Ravenna in 1311... They voted in that council to allow any mode. So if you wanted to be dipped or you wanted to be just have the water poured on you or if you wanted to be sprinkled, whichever one you wanted, you could do that. And that's, they decided that in 1311. But the symbolism, not only does the meaning of baptism demand a dipping under, but the symbolism itself requires a dipping under. We see that in Acts, I'm sorry, Romans chapter number six. Go over there. Verse number four. Romans six and verse number four. Romans six and verse number four. Paul writes here, he says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism in the death. That like as Christ, was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And notice also Colossians 2. Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 12. Colossians 2 and verse 12. Paul writes again here, Colossians 2 verse 12, buried with him in baptism, Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Both of these examples Paul is giving us here, both in Romans 6 and then again in Colossians chapter 2, he is telling us that through this act, through this work of baptism, we are showing in it that we are dying to self, dying in Christ Jesus and raised out of that water to walk in newness of life. And so through the work of baptism, we're showing that identification with the Lord, that we've died to self, and are raised to walk in that newness of life in Christ Jesus. Both of these passages show that baptism is a symbol of our death, burial, and resurrection in Christ. That's what it's showing. It's showing his death, burial, and resurrection for us, and it's showing our death, burial, and resurrection in him. You see, both those both those are passages are showing that symbolism of what baptism does. Obviously, then sprinkling doesn't show that example that Paul's talking about there in Romans six and Colossians chapter two. Pouring. Does not show that example by pouring water on someone. It doesn't show that burial, that dying to self, burial in Christ, raised again to walk in newness of life. It is only that dipping, that full immersion under the water that is showing that, that symbolism of a burial and a raising again at, from the dead to walk in that newness of life in Christ Jesus. This is only shown, this is only shown in the full meaning of the word, to dip or immerse fully, to show that burial. Um, We don't bury people by kicking a little dirt on them. We we dig a hole and put them in the hole. And this, this is the example that's being shown by our baptism. And besides that, the scriptural references uh, to actual baptisms all indicate immersion. Not only does the meaning of the word itself mean that, but we see in every example given to us in the scripture, it's always alluding to that reality simply by the mass of water that is required to do the baptisms. In Mark chapter 1, verse number 5, We see here, Mark chapter 1, verse number 5. Speaking of John again and his baptism uh, that the Lord came to receive. He says in verse 5, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. So he baptized them in the river. They went down into the water to be baptized. If sprinkling was good enough or pouring, why would you get wet? I mean, why would you go climb into the water? Why would you go out into the the rushing of the stream there when John could just bring a bucket and pour it on you? They went into the water and they received the dipping, the immersion that John was doing there in the River Jordan. Notice also in John chapter 3, John chapter 3 and verse number 23. John chapter 3 and verse number 23. It says, And John also was baptizing in a non near to Slim because there was much water there. And they came and were Baptized, So he had a nice pool there. There was a deep spot. There was much water there for him to baptize in. If all you needed was sprinkling or just pouring a cup of water, you wouldn't need a lot of water, right? But there was much water here and that was the reason they were gathered there for that baptism. And so when we go to the baptismal pool ourselves, we look for a place where we know we can dip somebody under. Uh, We don't want to take the candidate and lay them on the rocks and throw water on them. We want to be able to dip them under the water. That's the example that's given to us in the Scripture. And then of course again in, in Acts chapter 8 we read they both went down into the water. It, you know, I mean just just practically speaking, if I was Philip and knowing I was going to have to possibly walk back Scripture says the Spirit carried him back but But if I'm going to have to walk back home, I wouldn't, don't think I'd want to get in the water and get wet if I was Philip. Uh, If all it took was sprinkling or pouring. Uh, But they both went down into the water and Philip baptized him there in Acts chapter 8. And so we have these examples given to us uh, throughout the scripture and all these examples that are given. And there are many concerning baptism and how that baptism is performed. And uh, next time, I'll hold off there because there's no way I'm going to finish all of it. So next time we're going to look at the design first, uh, the fourth point. We're going to look at the divine design of baptism and then we'll look at the administrator, the authoritative administrator, those other two points concerning baptism. It is... It is the first act of obedience for a child of God. Uh, It was uh, given as an ordinance, the first ordinance of the church after the Lord established it there. Uh, It is not only an identification with Christ Jesus uh, of his own death, burial, and resurrection, and that that we belong to it. But it is also that ceremonial door into one of the Lord's churches in that that baptizing, making them a part of the body. Our forefathers uh, got to a place because of the controversial nature of baptism. They got to a place where they didn't accept anybody else's baptism. If you came to want to join their particular church, you got rebaptized. Whether you needed it or not or whether you wanted it or not you got rebaptized because it became so so controversial and that again is the reason they were called the rebaptizers uh, because they would not accept sprinkling they would not accept the mode of pouring they would not accept the baptism from other places they they would rebaptize and I've always made this statement and I still if ever I find that my baptism, was not authoritative, as we'll get into. It was not legitimate. I have no problem getting dunked again. I don't. I, I've run across people before that absolutely have refused. No, you're not bad. I've already been baptized. You're not going to baptize me again, and absolutely refuse. I don't. I'm just going to get wet. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Baptize me again. If you need if I need to be baptized, baptize me again. Um, but they they're there are those that hold so tightly to the one they had already that they don't want to they don't want to believe somehow that was illegitimate or not, right? And they dumped me again. That's fine. Yeah. All right, let's all stand we'll be dismissed.